This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. My favorite genre of audiobooks has to be historical fiction. Add a strong, independent heroine and an intriguing setting, and I'm sold. It's no wonder then that I'm so excited to recommend that you listen to Hotel Laguna by Nicola Harrison and narrated by Carlotta Brenton. The main character, Hazel, leaves Kansas in 1942 and becomes a real-life Rosie the Riveter building bombers, then finds herself dismissed after the war and looking for a way to remain independent in the sun-soaked landscape of Laguna Beach. If you were a fan of Nicola Harrison's first novel, Montauk, you'll love how Hotel Laguna transports you to this bohemian town and the art community there. Start listening to Hotel Laguna by Nicola Harrison now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Papinski, and today Liz Alterman is here to discuss her riveting new novel, The Perfect Neighborhood, a thought-provoking read about the dark side of suburbia that will keep you up late turning the pages. Liz Alterman's work can be found in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Parents, and other publications. In addition to The Perfect Neighborhood, she's also the author of a young adult novel, He'll Be Waiting, and a memoir, Sad Sacked. Liz lives in New Jersey with her husband and three sons. When she isn't writing, Liz spends most days reading, microwaving the same cup of coffee, and looking up synonyms. Liz, welcome to A Bookish Home. I just adored The Perfect Neighborhood, and I've so been looking forward to speaking with you. Oh, Laura, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm such a fan of the podcast. Thank you so much. This book was that perfect, like, suspenseful read where I, I, first of all, could not figure out like the mystery sort of behind, well, we, we'll get more into the whole premise, but I could, I could not figure out. You kept me guessing the whole time. Oh, that makes I, me so happy. <laughs> yes. I think I was up to like 2 a.m. one night reading and of course paid for it the next day, but I was like, I have to know what's going to happen. But oh, yet also it, you do it so well because at first, like I'm such a wimp. If it's like too dark, I can't handle that. So you, it's like funny too. And it doesn't get like too dark or grisly or anything, which is always helpful for me. And um, I just loved it. I think it's going to be a perfect like summer read for people because it's arrow with summer. Um, but can you tell listeners a little bit more about the premise for the book and the characters we meet? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for asking. So the book begins with sort of a lot of um, gossipy voices. It's set in an upscale suburb, which people often ask if I've patterned it patterned it or sort of developed it based on the neighborhood where I live. And uh, I will say it's a little bit like where I live, but it's also sort of based on where I grew up and other towns in New Jersey where I've worked. But it is a it's a fictional town, but it's sort of a composite of a bunch of places where I've lived, where, uh, you know, depending on which circles you're in, you will, <laughs> you can find out anything from, as I mentioned in the book, sort of secret basketball teams for youth to, you know, who's the gentle dentist and who's the best second grade teacher to get, all of those sort of little insights that um, mom networks kind of have at their disposal if you're in the right group. So the book begins with those kind of voices and the people are gossiping about a model and actress, Alison Langley, who has left her former rock star husband, Christopher, in the middle of the night. And uh, most people are inclined to not believe it, except there is a neighbor who has watched her get into an Uber around four in the morning with a duffel bag, and that kind of sets tongues wagging. And then fast forward a few months, and a little boy, Billy Barnes, goes missing on his walk home from kindergarten. 
kindergarten. And so right then, all of the gossip about Allison and her husband comes to an abrupt halt. And people really start to question, was there a predator in their midst? Or is it someone within this Oak Hill community who maybe you know, could either, could, was Billy targeted? Is it something, Has it, does it have something to do with his mom, Rachel, who is a bit of a cold, a sort of a colder character. She's a real estate agent and um, she's gone back to work, which isn't, isn't really that common among the moms within this community. You know, they prefer to be there for the, the pickups and the drop-offs and again, to kind of get the inside scoop on things within the neighborhood and kind of build up that the playdates and their own children's social network and of course their own. So as the book unfolds, you start to realize that maybe this perfect neighborhood uh, really isn't as idyllic as it seems. And if you sort of scratch the surface, everyone kind of has a secret. And the book is told from multiple points of view. So you get characters kind of weighing in on who they think the suspects might be and what they think about other neighbors and sort of their relationships and a glimpse into kind of different marriages and modern day parenting. Um, and, and just as they're trying to solve the mystery of what happened to this boy, uh, a lot comes out about the different people within this neighborhood. Yeah, it has such a great combination of these really sharp observations of suburbia. I know I live in suburbia and it, um, these sharp observations about it. And I also have young kids in elementary school, just these like mom dynamics. And at the same time, the suspense of wondering, you know, what ha- what is happening in the town and who's behind everything. And um, it was kind of funny. I happened to stumble upon it's like such a guilty pleasure. I never watched Desperate Housewives. Oh, yes, I did watch Recent- that. Uh, well, I recently like stumbled upon it on Amazon Prime. It's just like a guilty pleasure watch. And it definitely has some of those vibes of just like, you know, interesting things happening and secrets in suburbia. And yeah, I just I thought it was just such a great read. And I wondered, yeah, and I wondered if there was sort of an initial spark, like a particular scene or character, or was it really like, kind of these composites of different towns that piqued your interest first? Well, I will say this was kind of the, the, unfortunately, the one and only time it's happened to me, but I woke up from a dream with sort of the idea for the novel, kind of the beginning and the ending. And it's funny, my husband, who's usually very supportive, I told him the idea and he said, yeah, no, I don't think that's going to work. And, you know, kidnapping <laughs> stories, that, that's overdone. And I thought... All right, maybe, you know, maybe he's on to something. And so I kind of waited for a new idea to hit me because I, I wanted to start a full length project and just nothing was coming to me. And then I'd say over the course of six months, I, whether I was washing dishes or doing yard work or folding laundry, I started thinking more and more about who these characters could be in this neighborhood. And I could almost hear their voices, uh, you know, Allison and Rachel. And uh, I didn't, I certainly didn't have the full thing plotted or fleshed out, but I thought, you know, maybe this is a premise I could work with. And, and this setting is one I certainly know well, I'll be in uh, my, my current home almost 23 years in July. So I feel like I, uh, I definitely had a lot to draw on when it comes to setting. So I just, 
after about six months, no new ideas coming to me. I opened uh, a blank Word document and just started typing all of the ideas that I had. And by the time I looked up, I had about 6,000 words and they were definitely, you know, messy and sloppy and sort of sentence fragments. But I thought, you know what, I'm invested in this now and I'm going to see if I can, you know, make something of these ideas. And so my kind of my go-to is to sign up for a writer's workshop. And I was very fortunate that, I guess I started in January, right before the pandemic began. And I was very lucky that I was in there with wonderful writers and a great instructor who took us online once the pandemic began. And I think if it hadn't been for that, I'm, I'm very, I, I give myself some, even though I feel guilty, I give myself a lot of leeway where if I don't write a certain day or if I don't finish a chapter by a deadline, I'll say like, oh, well, you were busy. You'll get to it later. But when you're taking that class and you need to have 10 pages to share, that really motivates me to to sit down and do it. So I, I will say without those workshops, I probably would still be on like chapter 12. <laughs> Yeah, it's so interesting you say that. I I um I think that accountability is so helpful. And I was just before we talked talking to Laura Spence Ash, who wrote um, Beyond That the Sea, and she was saying that she doesn't think her book would be here if she hadn't signed up for this one year novel writing class because it was the same thing. She had certain deadlines every week or so, had to get pages to somebody, and um, yeah, that oh. accountability I think can be really helpful. I know I need it. So yeah. um, well, I look forward to listening to that episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm wondering, so I thought all the characters were just so interesting and surprising. I couldn't really figure out what any of them were going to do and the choices they were going to make. Um, and you do also make just these just funny observations about people and interesting kind of commentary. And I wondered, do you worry at all as you're writing that someone's going to think that you're talking about, you know, a real neighbor or a real mom from the PTA or whatever it is? Do you kind of worry about that? Oh, that's a great question. It's, it's very funny because um, very generously, uh, some women in my neighborhood who have a large book club read the book and invited me to join. And I was so honored because I feel like with so many wonderful novels out there uh, and, and everyone has so many demands on their time, I was really you know, flattered. And it was so much fun to just chat with them and to talk about kind of the behind the scenes of writing a book and and what it takes to to get it published it was so nice but one neighbor was saying um i kept reading wondering when i was going to show up in the pages or <laughs> were, were, were any of this based on me so i think you know i have to say no no one's based on a real character and um but it was funny i had lunch with a friend who's a writer and he was saying okay so so how many of these are real people because you couldn't have made them all up could you <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to because, um, you know, I will say the closest that I come to to basing it on real life people is um, the town where I grew up. Um, my mom still lives there. And there are a lot of people who start these meal trains. And then when they bring someone something, they want to be thanked immediately as one character does or, you know, and obviously if someone is the recipient of a meal train, they probably have something serious going on. Or, you know, if someone's bringing them meals, either whether it's for a week or a few months, you know, obviously 
they don't have the time to prepare a meal. So they probably don't have time to write a thank you note or to return your pottery. And so that was something that I kind of wanted to touch on is just, um, and I know I I often bring this up, but there was someone who, um, there was a, I guess, a meal train that was started where people were told, please just leave your meal in the cooler and don't bother the family. And there were certain people who were who didn't want to donate or volunteer because they said, you know, well, I want to see, I want to talk to the mom. If, if I'm bringing this meal, I should be able to talk to them. And it's kind of like you're yeah. missing, missing the point of it. But um, right. so I wanted to include that just because I feel like that is something that can, while it has wonderful intentions, can bring out kind of some weird vibes from people. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I love about this book. All those little things that you find yourself noticing different things about them, but like just to kind of see it given some just like funny and interesting commentary on the page, I think is really just fun. Well, were there particular characters or like scenes or plot lines that like really gave you trouble as you were trying to write? Like, what did you really struggle with during the process? Oh, you know, I think for me, I I fear that as I guess writers talk about it, kind of like the saggy middle, I think, uh, especially because I knew how I wanted to begin it. And I knew I had a general idea of how I wanted it to end. I had a hard time. I remember getting to maybe 40,000 words and the whole, just for perspective for listeners, the whole book is probably about 91,000. So I was at just about a little under the halfway mark. And I thought, oh man, how am I going to fill this up to get to the end? What, what am I going to do? And so I think that's hard. Also, you know, I love a book that where the chapters end kind of on a cliffhanger where you say like, okay, after this chapter, I'm stopping, but then you continue on. And so I think for me, I was trying to keep that suspense going and, uh, but also not for the, not when it's really hitting you over the head with that cliffhanger, you know, where I think it's a thin line between doing it effectively and not too, too much or keeping it subtle. That was a challenge for me to kind of keep, to sustain the suspense, but, um, but not, not take it too far, like into the weeds or too far off the main plot. And, and I wanted to keep readers interested, because I know I have a tendency if something loses my interest, and then someone tells me about another book, I will just, you know, return that book to the library, (laughs) unfinished and move on to the next thing. So I thought, how can I, how can I keep readers kind of guessing, and still interested and care about these characters care about, you know, finding Billy Barnes, is he, you know, dead or alive, who took him all of those, and you know, what's going to happen with some of these relationships that are kind of up in the air. Right. I'm curious, kind of along with that, selfishly, because I've gotten to this point a little bit, Did you have any help when it came to plot in terms of like, you know, there's save the cat and like different sort of plot things to kind of like help map out plot and things, or did you kind of just like feel the story naturally and it just sort of like came out in this certain way, or did you like use anything structurally for guidance? Um, I will say the, 
the course that I took, which was through the Writer Circle, which is um, in New Jersey, and they have different online options. The, the instructor there, Michelle Cameron, who's an author herself, she was very helpful where she would say, you know, I would read a chapter aloud. And I have this very bad habit of where I will go into a bit of a flashback and then I'll do a flashback within the flashback. And she'll say like, okay, you're doing your Russian nesting doll flashbacks again. You have to stop that. (laughs) And then, but you know, but in a kind way. And she would say, okay, when, when you finish the draft, you're going to have to sit and really pull this apart and think about what's necessary and what can go where. And then um, I guess before submitting it, I worked with Amy Tipton of Feral Girl Books. She's a former literary agent, and now she does developmental edits. And and she provides a, a range of services, and she's really like a cheerleader for authors. And so I had sent her, I guess, a query asking if she would work with me on it. And luckily, she said yes. And so I sent it to her. And she was very encouraging. But also, she, of course, pointed out you're doing flashbacks within a flashback. And you're you're pulling us too far off course, you have to, you know, if you want to keep this separate it and put it here and do that. And so I joke that after I received her notes, I went back and I printed out a bunch of pages. And then um, it was the summertime. And I took all of these pages to the local pool where I I take my kids in the summer. And I was just kind of drawing arrows and writing stars and crossing things out. And then the wind would blow and I'd have pages blowing across. And my husband was, you know, he always sits in the shade and he's looking at me like, if anyone saw what you are doing with this novel, like no one would ever believe this is going to come together as one cohesive book. (laughs) (laughs) I'd go home and I would look at my notes and I would go back to the draft, you know, in word and I would start making those changes and moving things around and then reread it and see if it worked. And um, it definitely, I felt like it was a lot like putting a puzzle together by the end. Yeah. And did you, did you know how you wanted everything to, without giving anything away, did you sort of know how you wanted everything to end Um, even by like the messy middle or was that something that like you had to kind of figure out what choices these characters were going to make to kind of find your ending? Well, I will say there's there's a scene that comes before the ending that I I rewrote that maybe three or four times. At, initially, I had it from a different person's point of view. And then um, it was funny. I gave it to my husband, who is a writer and editor by trade. And he was saying um, this. He doesn't do anything with fiction. He's more technical writing. But he was saying, you're Scooby-Doing this ending. This is not working. You have to go back. And so, of course, when he said it, I, I think I fell down on the living room floor. But I like, you know, like, <laughs> crumpling in defeat. But I thought, oh, shoot, he's right. And so I went back and I changed it. And then even, I guess, after Crooked Lane accepted it for publication, when we were going through the editing process, there was just still something that just I didn't feel it was right or as, I guess, as suspenseful or as active as I felt it could be. So I asked my editor if I could take another crack at it. And um, she said, okay, but, you know, let run it past me first and don't just send it off, uh, you know, to, to the next leg without me reading it. And then when she read it, she said like, okay, I agree. I like this one better. So we sort of swapped that in. Um, 
So I sort of feel like it, it really was coming down to the wire. And and I would probably, I could probably go back and rewrite other scenes now. <laughs> sort of, right. you never feel like you're completely done. But the epilogue is something that I didn't necessarily have in mind until I got to the very end of the book. And, and then I thought, you know, I want readers to come away with a little bit of closure on some characters and a little bit of, you know, still wondering about others. Well, I thought it was interesting you mentioned that your husband is a writer and has has read your work too. Do you have other really trusted readers or writing friends or critique partners and things like that that have really helped you kind of along your way? Yes, that's such a great question. One I met through taking writing workshops and she and I, we continue to meet on a weekly basis. And I joke, uh, her name is Liz also. And I joke that she's like my soul sister and secret weapon because she has a very, um, I think, rare ability to be encouraging but yet tell you what is not working and uh, and what needs to go back. And, um, you know, even if, if I'll say like, I think that was a rough transition and she'll, she'll, we do it over zoom and I'll see her nodding and she'll say, yep, I've got that right here in my notes. I was going to tell you, I was going to point that out if you didn't bring it up. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and she's, she's a wonderful writer. I love um, what she's working on. So it's, I feel like I I trust her and I appreciate that she can, you know, kind of tell you, yeah, you need to go back to the drawing board, but do it in such a way that it doesn't make me, um, you know, give up or want to quit without finishing. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, that's so valuable. Um, Well, I was also wondering, you know, if you have any favorite like writing resources, either groups that you're part of or books or other podcasts, anything that you'd want to recommend to other writers? Oh, that's such a great question. I actually, well, I have a newsletter and I put together uh, a piece a while back and I I know I included your podcast, but I, I love yours is one of my favorites. I also love Camille Pagan. You should write a book. That is a podcast that um, Camille also, I think, has that talent for being super encouraging for writers. And she's a book coach. So she she will interview or not necessarily interview, but writers will come on with a question or an issue and she will coach them through whatever, you know, whether it's um, writer's block or not knowing, you know, which path to take in publishing. So I love hers. And then in terms of books, I think you interviewed Matt Bell. Is that a while? Yeah. Yep. For refuse to be done. Yes. His book is one of my absolute favorites. I had taken it out of the library and then um, I thought, okay, no, I need to add this to my collection because he has so many wonderful tips. I just, um, I felt like it's almost one of those books where you could, you don't necessarily need to read it. Um, in, in sequence, you can almost open it to any page and find a wonderful nugget of advice that you can take away. And uh, so that I'm working on a new project now. And I think before I get too far, I want to reread that <laughs> because yeah, I need to reread it again, too. I almost felt like I almost stopped underlining things because it was like every sentence is so helpful. I have to just stop or this entire page is the entire book is just going to be highlighted and underlined. That's exactly how I felt. And I, I joke like whenever I'll see him post about it on social media I'll leave a comment and say like I recommend this book 
probably twice a week at least. Anytime uh, someone asks for advice or if I hear of somebody who's deep in a draft and about to begin revising, I'll say, oh, you have to do, you have to go and read this book because it's amazing. I love even it's his so list. Of, yes, the list of weasel words. I'm so yes. guilty of that. And uh, just all of his advice. I, I was just upset. I think he just was speaking at Rutgers and I didn't see it in time. And it, it was a sold out event. And I thought, oh man, I've, I've got to stay more on top of this. But also making it so much sadder that I didn't get to see him. Um, Courtney Mom, who I would also highly recommend her book before and after the book deal. Uh, that's another resource that I love just that kind of talks about sort of all aspects of publishing and, and really just how to be how to be a good literary citizen, um, supporting other authors and and just as you're kind of making your way in the publishing world, what what to keep in mind. But so she was with Matt Bell. So it was kind of I mean, oh. as were other wonderful authors too, but I thought, oh man, and I, I live about 40 minutes. I was thinking, is this the kind of thing like, you know, where you go to a concert and people are selling tickets in the parking lot? <laughs> could I, could I yeah, are there some scalpers for this? Exactly. I, go? I know. You, know, you um, don't often think of that for a writing workshop, but I was desperate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still so hoping when I talked to Matt Bell, he wasn't sure if there were going to be like other craft books in his future. And I was like, please, I really hope that you yes. um, keep going with those because he has just such a gift for for that. Oh. I found his book so helpful. He really does. I, when I was listening to your podcast and you asked him that, I was like, you know, silently like, yes, that's a great question. <laughs> like, I hope there's more because he really, it's almost like a conversation with a friend, the way he writes, like he doesn't, he's so, he makes it so easy to understand. And you're, you come away instead of being overwhelmed, you come away thinking like, yeah, I could do that. I, I, I should yeah. try that. Right. And uh, it's really, really helpful. So we're both in the Mad Bell Superman Club then. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I know. So I hope he comes up with more because I, what, I think what great so. And he really um, put me to shame when I thought about all the work he does to make that, that draft sing. And I love his honesty too when he'll say this started out at 150,000 words. And I think like that makes me feel better about having to cut nine or 10,000, uh, you know, to know that you're not alone in this battle against, uh, <laughs> editing. Yeah. It's helpful to hear someone being transparent about it. Um, exactly. well, in addition to kind of, uh, writing and craft books, I do um, want to hear if there have been any other books you've read lately that you'd want to recommend. Uh, well, I know you and I spoke about this offline, but probably the one that has spoken to me the most this year is Maggie Smith's You Could Make This Place Beautiful. I was just um, out with my cousin yesterday and uh, she had a, about an hour ride home and I was saying, you have to start listening to this because I listened to the audio. And again, that it just feels like Maggie, by the end, she feels like a friend who's confiding oh. in you. And uh, Does she read the book? She does. She's the narrator. Oh, I read it, but I didn't listen on audio, and I might have to like reread it on audio. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I love. Like, I really. I almost didn't want to look to see how much I had left because I did not want it to end. And you're so rooting for her, and to hear it in her own voice, it makes it. It seems like that much more personal. But um, I just loved so many of the things that she spoke about in there about you know sort of trying to juggle parenting and creating art and you know being 
uh, a good partner and a good literary citizen and just everything that she speaks about was just with such honesty was just so so beautiful to to read about that's another one where every page had so many just nuggets and insights and um yes. yeah just beautiful beautiful book um, it's funny because one. when you listen like I'll just hit that arrow to go back 30 seconds and listen to it again then I hit the arrow again <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, can I, do I can't underline but I'm like oh I need to hear her say that again that was awesome yeah yeah I could, that's one I I definitely need to take some time and reread um and just like savor it again did you have any any others Oh, that's a that's a great question. I feel like I'm always in. Um, I'm I'm either like just starting something. You know what? I just reread because I love reading humor. Um, I was just rereading Wendy Aaron's "I'm Wearing Tunics Now." I don't know if you read that. Oh, I've seen that, but I haven't read it. It's you know I bought it when it first came out, and I was almost kind of I almost like where you want to save or something and not read it all at once. So I'll read like one essay almost as a treat, you know, and then I put it away again, and then I pick it up again. And uh, I was just reading that last week, and I just I absolutely love it. It's so so good. Oh, I'll definitely link to both of those, and I've got to check check that I'm wearing tunics one out. Well, are you able to say anything about um, your next project? Is that in the works? I, I'm about halfway through a new manuscript, and it'll also be in kind of the domestic suspense realm. It follows two uh, families who've been lifelong friends, and their sons are friends, and something happens between the sons that kind of divides these two. And uh, so I'm in the middle of it now, and again, I'm sort of facing the same dilemma that I had with The Perfect Neighborhood, where I'm hoping uh, to get to the end in, in a way that is intriguing and satisfying to the reader but not not over the top and not dull like just kind of trying to strike that balance so I'm wrestling with that right now and um I have two cats and these poor cats just listen to me sigh all day long as I write and delete and uh revise all right what am I going to do now what what's this next chapter going to be so I'm not I'm not a great outliner I wish that I were but I I feel like I need to really get to know these characters and think about what they would do. And and I'm sure like Matt Bell would probably tell us uh, the, the, magic, the magic will hopefully happen in the revision, but I just, I need to get the the words down first, but, but I've been enjoying it because it's going to have, I guess some, a similar, I would say tone as the perfect neighborhood in that you're going to hear characters kind of weighing in on one another and one character might tell you something and then another is going to give you a little bit more insight into that situation. So things are kind of unfolding through different characters perspectives. Oh, I love that. That, that did make um, the perfect neighborhood fun to read. Is there a, are you like up against a deadline for this one? Is there a publication date set already or not? No, I wish, I wish there were. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm kind of winging it and, um, and hoping I had been giving myself a deadline of maybe mid to end July, but I don't, I don't know if I'm going to hit that, unfortunately. So now I may, I may roll it back to September, but I feel like time is going so quickly. Well, I, I'm sure it'll you'll get to that next revision and get get your word count and stuff when it's when it's time and um yeah I bet well I'll just look forward to that book as well and 
I, I just really hope those listeners go pick up The Perfect Neighborhood. Anybody who enjoys suspense or um, sort of just interesting takes on suburbia and kind of moms in the neighborhood and um, anyone who loves to be kept guessing till very late in the night will enjoy this. It would be the perfect one to maybe bring on vacation this summer um, and really get just kind of caught up in, in the whole in the whole story. And thank you for taking the time to come on. It was so much fun chatting with you. Oh, Laura, thank you. I really appreciate uh, chatting with you. It's been so much fun. I listen to you so often that I, I feel like you're an old friend, like Maggie <laughs> <laughs> and Matt, right? Oh, that's so nice. Well, yes, thank you again. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.